Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to teen movies from the 80s and beyond. I almost made it. God damn it. You did make it. You just you just slowed down and that was the right thing to do. Well, no, I used to say teen entertainment, but whatever. Oh, well, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, sometimes we discuss TV shows. It's not often, but all right. Fair enough, fair enough. We are launching our Halloween season. And uh, this episode we'll be doing a Fred Decker double feature. He did Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad, and then his career kind of died, which is always kind of sad. Agreed. Yeah, he. so like these two movies I think people had hopes for, like TriStar had hopes for, they just didn't make money. And if you look at his career, I mean, yes, he did RoboCop 3. But that sat on the shelf for two years and then died because there's no promotion. A lot of people don't like it, but I actually like it better than two. And then a lot of story stuff, like for Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. Then he had a big comeback a few years ago. Well, supposed to be a comeback with The Predator with him and his college buddy Shane Black. And I think it's pretty fucking good. It didn't make any money again. This dude is kind of cursed. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I saw that Shane Black helped the two of them wrote the monster squad together yeah i don't i don't know if it's his first script i i do believe lethal weapon was his first script but he had a lot of heat on it and then immediately after that he had done monster squad and, and you know that so it's those two and then uh he did punch up work on die hard and then fred decker just went in a different direction i think monster squad kind of showed he was a better writer than he was a director um yeah that makes sense and so, uh, so he got a lot of script work for Joel Silver over the years with, uh, you know, Tales and Crypt and Ricochet. I was going to say, maybe I should be embarrassed by this, but I'll admit it that I did go see that Predator movie in the theaters. You did? No, no, I like it. I wish I uh, had seen I it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I know, I know the movie is, like, they told, like, oh, there's this other version of the movie that exists that the studio didn't want, so they had to spend like another $20 million reshooting it a bunch, so it's a little messy. Um, still pretty good. Better, one of the better Predator sequels, to tell you the truth. Um, yeah. Let, let's get on course, though, but, uh, or on track. Sorry. Uh, no, it's my fault. Um, so, he comes out of college with The Night of the Creeps, and I had always heard about it. People had talked about it. Like, you know, it's, it started building up a cult following because it played on cable a bunch, and video, mm-hmm. uh, but I hadn't seen it until uh, it hit DVD like in 2009, 2010. I thought it for a low budget, like a $3 million studio horror flick, it was pretty crafty for like this is his first movie. He's like 23 or 24 when he makes it. I mean, honestly, I, I, I had not, I mean, I saw it for the first time yesterday. Okay. So. I had never seen it before. I mean, I re- kind of like recognized the like the cover image. Um, obviously, I'd seen it, you know, seen that before, but I had never given it much thought for some reason. Um, but I, I, I thought that yeah, for what it was. I mean, obviously, there's it's you know the special effects aren't great, but what can you expect? It was like. What what year was that? Eighty six. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what what really caught me off guard in a good way was how clever 
the script was. Like you were saying, that you know, perhaps he's a better writer than he is a director. And I just, I thought there was, there was so many things that like I laughed out loud about. It was, I just thought there was so many clever things in it. And um, I don't know, just super goofy. And, and you know, and I, Monster Squad is and kind of the, in the same vein that you know there's. It's, I don't know if it's quite as clever in my opinion, but there's so many um, memorable lines and, you know, things that stand out. Yeah, the, uh, so after I got done with Trash Cinema, um, which was one of the podcasts I did, a friend of mine, uh, we were working on something. We're going to cover horror movies from like 1980 on up. And for the first three episodes, I actually called the show Thrill Me. Oh, oh, okay. And then we just decided just to drop and everything just fell under hit rewind or this. Um, uh-huh. Just it just made it easier if there's only two shows. And um, I think I think it's intentionally cheesy. It's a throwback to um, it's like a hodgepodge of everything he loved growing yeah. up. And I'm 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 guessing yeah. it's probably not stuff he saw in theaters because he was too young. I'm guessing these are the kind of things like you and I grew up with where yeah. it was just on TV. Like, you, you know, you couldn't get to the video store, you're too poor, you didn't have cable, so you just watched like these B-movies that aired on the weekends and late at night. And Yeah, like the up all night, whatever random shit we were watching when we were younger. Yeah, I mean, we, had, we had a station called Super 55 before it was Fox, and then, and then eventually became Fox 55. But they were always a low-budget station that never had the money to, you know, the network stuff they couldn't do. So they always had, like, older uh, reruns than everybody else. And the movie packages were always questionable. Stuff like that. And I think that kind of honed our taste in some stuff. I'm always shocked that I, I, I don't believe I ever saw this on TV. Just like Monster Squad, I don't think I ever saw this on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that if it had... It aired on TV. We would have watched it when we were younger. Yeah, we watched everything. We did not. We didn't really have taste. I yeah. mean, I dare say I'm not so sure. It's uh, even then now that I have good taste or anything. I just, you know, we liked. We consumed a lot of stuff. We were just interested. We've always been so interested in movies and like just every kind of movie that we just watched everything. It seems yeah. Like. The uh, I, I remember the cover being different than the one that you see on our voodoo copy. Yeah. And it was, if I remember correctly, it was the window, and there was a zombie outside oh. the window, and it said, uh, uh, "Great news, your dates are here. Bad news, they're dead, or something like that." Uh, I mean, that's a pretty clever tagline. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, uh, Tom Atkins' character is kind of a spoof of like hard-nosed detectives of the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. I think, like film noir detectives. So he throws out these cheesy one-liners, but I think it's intentionally supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, not like the, the writer didn't know that they were hokey. Right, I agree. I, do, I think that is exactly right, that, you know, excuse me, that the... the the brief part that was in the 1950s, you know, especially that part was um, it homage, kind of, but a little tongue-in-cheek. And so, of course, you know, he would carry that over to the, the rest of the film where 
I mean, it wasn't, it's not necessarily mocking horror movies, but it's definitely uh, approaching it in a slightly irreverent way. Yeah, and I think it helped that you're two years out from Ghostbusters, and all of a sudden everybody wants something that's funny and scary, and all of a sudden, if you look at the timeline of how horror movies changed, up until that point, you had very few horror movies that were a mixture of both like there was parodies right um we had like american werewolf in london there's a dark streak of sense of humor in the howling there's a couple others in there but it's mostly yeah. slashers like low budget gritty slashers and all of a sudden everything changed the summer of 84 when we had gremlins and ghostbusters uh-huh. making you know 200 million dollars whatever and all of a sudden every studio wanted something like this where it legitimately scary but also legitimately funny and I forgot there is another movie in here that he did. Um, so I, I, I think before he did Night of the Creeps, he sold us the script for House. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, okay, sure. No, I don't think so. I've of course heard of it, but no, I haven't seen it. I don't think. Yeah, and those are both. That's another one that's like a lot of like wacky special effects, but legitimately scary and and, and funny. Um, and I kind of missed that era. There really wasn't many of them that were successful. And it still goes to this day because we talk about like some of the great cult hits of horror were not successful, but they have that formula. Like uh, Todd and, um, oh, what is it again, versus evil? Uh, uh, Tucker and Dale versus evil. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the movie that, th- that inspired it, uh, sorry, hold on, let me say this correctly. Uh, Slither okay. is like that. It, it was He said it was his love letter to Night of the Creeps and The Thing. So, you know, you have the little slug monsters. You even have the fact that this movie, um, it, it wrote character names that were based on famous horror guys. And they did the mm-hmm. same exact thing in Slither. I don't think I put that together, but thank you. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I, I just know yeah. from the commentary track is he said he loved those kind of gory monster movies of the 80s, and this was his love letter to it. I mean, I... I, I kind of wish that Slither was slightly less disgusting. Yeah, it's it really <laughs> does push the envelope. It's hard, the... For me, it's hard for me to repeat it, even though I like, you know, the general idea, the actors and all that <laughs> stuff. And in the initial watch, I liked it. But it's just so gross. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. Um, yeah. The cast on this is pretty pretty prime and I'm actually impressed by Steve Marshall as his uh, best friend and I don't think I've ever seen him do another movie in fact I don't know if he ever did do another movie yeah I I, he was honestly like the best part of the movie for me and he got all the best lines yeah well he's also so funny he's the bravest character he's the leader of the group which I think is funny is because they made a guy who you don't normally perceive, especially in the 80s. Agreed. As, yes. as a lead, someone who's physically disabled. Um, but he has all the smarts. He has the guts. Yeah. And taking him, spoilers, taking him out of the movie halfway through is a fucking yeah. shock and a gut punch. I really thought he was going to be in the whole movie and he was going to be like yeah. a one-liner guy for the whole thing. You know, there's an element of him that's a little bit similar to, like, Fright Night and his sidekick. What was his name in that? Uh, Evil Ed. Evil Ed. Yeah, but, like, obviously much more likable. But there's there was something, I, you know, a vibe that I felt was a little similar. But, 
he was just, yeah, he was so brave, and he was so, he had, I just told him the funniest stuff, and I kept laughing out loud, and I was just like, you know, this shouldn't, a movie that this, that's this old shouldn't still be that funny to me, uh, but, and there was also, I, well, I had messaged you this, that there was something about him that felt, it feels very similar to, like, the the foster brother in Shazam, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it's a very similar character, he's, um, you know, differently abled, I don't know what the appropriate way to say that is no, these right. days, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm not 100 sure. Sorry if I said that wrong, but um, you know, and he gets picked on all the time. But he just, you know, his his way to deal with it, his defense mechanisms is to have the smartest mouth you could possibly imagine, and it just gets him in more trouble. But he doesn't care because he's yeah, he's the brave one. And so anyway, I, don't, I have no idea if there was a, that was like just a coincidence that there's a similarity, but he even looked they even look similar. I don't know. The the simple fact that they were smart enough not to bring him back. You sit there in the whole last half yeah. of the movie, you know he's been taken over, and yeah. you know that they always come back, and they they. I think that it would have. I honestly, every time I listen to that tape about him being taken over, I want to cry. And if they I had, know. if they had brought him back, I think that might have broke the movie a little bit because it's still supposed to be a fun horror comedy. Yeah. And if you brought him back and the main character is supposed to kill his best friend, I think that would have. Yeah. And they, I don't know if they filmed it or not, but I think that would have destroyed the movie. No, I, I appreciated the way they did that because, like, that's also one of the. It, I shouldn't keep comparing it, but that's also one of the issues that I have with Fright Night is I hate the way that they end it with Evil Ed's, like, laughing like he's still around. Yeah. But he shouldn't be. No, and I think, no, the plan was to bring him back for the sequels. Now, I don't know if that was originally the plan by the director, but I know that they were trying to get him to do the sequel, but he was too busy. Uh, He returns in the comic books. But, um... you're right exactly that the way they went about this um this friend and that they it would have um completely undone the emotional gravitas of that recording uh when i was a kid i had seen a couple bits and pieces of this on like the sci-fi channel or maybe like tbs or something i remember the weird ass opening with the alien running through uh, the, sure. Like the, the ugly chubby baby. <laughs> yes, that was, yes, very strange. And I remember that, and for years, I thought that was the intro to Critters. Because I feel like there's oh. another scene where they're on a spaceship, and, and someone's like, uh-huh. the Critters are escaping, and I thought that was the beginning of Critters. And uh-huh. I think the intro is really strange because it is in color, and it's a, it's a weird hodgepodge because... At the same time as that's happening in color and space, then it's the 50s or 60s or whatever, and it's in black and white. And then you have, like, that weird story. You always heard that urban legend about, oh, and the guy yeah. escaped from the mental hospital, and he, you know, and they took off, and all left was the hand on the door. You know, that kind of yes. um, urban I, legend. I admit, I admit that the, 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 that and the like alien thing happening at the same time was a little 
much. And yeah. I didn't really understand why they felt like they needed to have both things at once. Yeah, I think it's to give Tom Atkins like some sort of backstory because of his nightmares. But that part almost seems a little unnecessary. Yeah. Like he's already... He was already there in the first place with the alien abduction, you know, and yeah, so that yeah. I think that could have been like he lost the one he loved to the alien uh, infection. Um, and the yeah. second stupid thing I think is uh, just the whole going. I get the frat prank, but how they unleash it is you have the smartest character yeah. in the movie, Steve, and he's a fucking doofus, and he just starts pushing buttons random. You know he's too smart for that. Yeah. Yeah, that part was a fuck-up, I think. And the other thing I think is a bit of a flaw, not terrible, but I don't think Jason Lively, the main actor, is very good. I don't believe it, especially when he's trying to be tough at the end. And um, I know why he was cast. He's like one of the only ones that had name value because he had just come off of European vacation. Can I say that there's something about his face that makes me want to punch him? Yeah, and I think that's what worked in the second movie. The, the second National Lampoon does have the the shittiest kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. And Vegas Vacation, come on, the best. The best kids. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, no doubt. But yeah, I think in general, I think it's a it's a very odd balance. It's pretty much successful in you have this weird hybrid genre of aliens and zombies, yeah. and, and it's a horror comedy, and he really does balance it pretty well. You're right. There is so much going on, and then and at the same time, also the the gritty cop with a troubled background. Yeah. Um, Jill Whitlow, who plays Cynthia, I think she's pretty good, and, and they kind of circumvented some of the bullshit they always do in horror movies back then, where the girl yeah. was kind of like, hey guys, this isn't funny, or you had these scared, you know, like, scream queens. I don't, does she even scream? She freezes up, um, I don't remember, but she, that was a curse I of this like, era. I feel like other people scream, but not her, I yeah. don't remember. Um, also, did you happen to recognize her boyfriend, Brad? I know, just he he had a punchy face too. But yeah. no, what was he from? Well, we know him as Bubba from Mama's Family, a very stupid show that we watched all oh, the time growing up. Oh my god! <laughs> Seriously, yeah. why did we watch that show so much? Look, was it the dumbest show ever? I well, don't even know. First off, you and I were hungry for any entertainment. And I yeah. mean, I said that earlier, but I, clearly we were, honestly. We watched so much stuff. Um, yeah, why? I have I have a question about movies in the 80s in general. One, why was there so many titties? So many what? I mean, I guess boobs. Boobs. Oh, boobs. 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 B-E-W-B-S. Is it just because, like, you know, some of those movies were popular, like the Porkies and stuff, that they just yeah. were like, let's just put boobs everywhere? Because it was so, so unnecessary to any plot line to see those girls in there getting ready for the dance montage. Yeah, it's, it's just Shall what's sold. Showing their, their boobies, but their hair was was dry. Yeah, here's the thing, and... and uh, so it's pre. Hey, uh, kids, could you know the only porn you ever found as a teenager and a college kid or whatever was, uh, 
basically finding it in the woods, which apparently every single person except I have found. Like, oh, just random magazines like, in the woods. Like magazines. Oh, okay. okay yeah. I like you'll just find Playboys. I didn't know that was a thing, but I'm a girl, so I don't know. Yeah, and so there's that, or you got the nerve to go rent actual porn on VHS or go to the theater. But there was a loophole. It was much more palatable, I think, by society if you did fit it into a mainstream movie. So Animal House, I think, was the first. Like, hey, we just threw random boobs in this, and you know, people went crazy for it, but it was Porky's. Porky's was this weird Canadian movie that made like 80 million in America alone. It was a fucking phenomenon. The movie's a piece of shit, by the way. Um, it costs like two. And so not only do you have the theater money, but if that somehow doesn't happen, you have the cable and the video money. And yeah, I see. Cinemax, so HBO couldn't show nudity. They made a rule that they would not show nudity before like 8 p.m. And so. Most of that stuff would go to Cinemax or the movie channel, the ones that most people didn't buy, but niche, you know, they would they would literally pay you sometimes like a million dollars for the rights. And then there's video companies that would pay a million dollars as well. So companies like Roger Corman and, you know, the lower budget guys, they had these deals like, hey, if you spend a million on the movie and you spend a million promoting it and distributing it, you know, it doesn't matter really how much money you make because you just made all that money back on cable and video sales. So yeah. that was a whole bread, but you had to put boobs in. You had to put gore in. You had to have a certain level. So yeah, there's okay. a lot of nudity. But once, I think the last big boom of that was the uh-huh. whole revival around American um, Pie. Oh, sure. Yeah, so you had that for like four or five years where all of a sudden you just had to have random nudity and stuff like that. But once I think porn became available like everywhere, <laughs> yeah, it just it doesn't seem necessary now because that you can right. you, you can just look on your phone for boobs, you know. <laughs> I love that you that I asked you like a mildly stupid question and you like totally were very like uh, like gave me actual like factual yeah. basis behind this thing. I wonder if they had a formula, formula where they were like, you have to show like eight boobs or 12 seconds. Yeah. And- <laughs> well, I mean... 15% of your movie. Yeah, uh, Roger Corman actually had a formula. He said every 10 minutes you have to have either violence or nudity. And you had to keep the movie under 80 minutes because he could ship all the film in one package instead of paying extra shipping. Some of these guys really did have a formula. I mean, you know, he may not be like a high-quality filmmaker, but he obviously knew something because he made a lot of movies. Yeah. And if you look, every single successful format, home video format or game format... Um, uh-huh. has, has been has, whatever decided to embrace porn uh, I should say adult entertainment um, yeah. is uh, the one that was successful beta didn't do it VHS did uh, yeah. if you look at the video game uh, industry it's literally like okay well PlayStation 2 or 3 or whatever are the first game system to embrace DVDs therefore they could play porn you know, it's that kind of thing. Streaming is because of that. Yeah, every step forward technology-wise is because of adult entertainment. <laughs> Thanks, adult entertainment. 
But watch Middlemen, uh, the movie with Luke Wilson and Giovanni Ribisi from like 2008, 2009. They explain yeah. everything that happened with Silicon Valley and how our internet fucking skyrocketed quality-wise based solely on that kind of thing. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. Um, my next question, I have one more question and then we can move on. I'm sorry okay. for the um, side-stepping, but why do 75% of the people in the movie who are supposed to be in college or high school look like they're 35 plus? Well, I think... What the problem was is there was always rules that said with uh, underage kids, anybody under 18, they had to stop filming at a certain time. Sure. And so once you get past that, um, you can film all night long, especially with horror movies. It became difficult because, you know, how you have a star in it who's 15 or 16. Well, guess what? Well, now they can no longer film and horror movies are almost always set at night. So that can be a problem. So, yeah, you usually skew older. Plus, you just get a... You get a talent pool that's different once they've gone to college and taking acting lessons. And if you're young yeah. enough, because I was just like, uh, I was watching a movie. Do you remember Arvid from Head of the Class, the nerdy one with glasses, big nose? Of course, yes. Um, who is a zombie in this movie, by the way? Um, oh, he was I'm... he was 27 when he was on Head of the Class because he could pull it off. Now, if you look at kids today, it's completely different. Yeah, they, they, they try more for children who actually are closer to their age group and with digital video and other things, you know, they can shoot faster and it, it can alter uh, the filming. I guess also perhaps just the, the styles weren't very flattering back then. Yeah. Well, and all the guys but, had a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> just like, some of these guys are just like, You've got to be joking. Yeah. You cannot actually... Oh, yeah. There's, there's a couple guys in the background, uh, extra frat dudes, who look like they're ready to file for, like, Social Security. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Agree. Um, well, I have one more thing to say is that, yeah, I don't... Um, Tom Atkins as a leading man, I'm not so sure. You know, I was like, what do I know this guy from? What do I know this guy from? And then I, I figured out it must be The Fog. Yeah, yeah The Fog and, in Halloween 3, basically. And I was just like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I don't know. Like, Whatever it is, he... He's, he's not charming to me. He's not attractive to me. He's not, but I mean, I guess 1980 standards were very different than... Then, you know, what, you know, what we find attractive now. I don't know. Yeah, well, if you look at the 80s, they were very strange. It seems like these guys were leading men. 90% of them probably shouldn't be leading men. Like, they're character actors, and if they it would happen now, like, Rutger Howard, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> Christopher Lambert. Yeah. <laughs> these guys who just didn't look like they should be leads. Steven Seagal, for fuck's sake, he looks like a sack of walnuts even back when he was thin. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, when I first saw him, I was like... Is that Zap Rouse <laughs> I got confused for a second. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, no, that's not right. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, overall, I found this to be enjoyable and was surprised that I had, you know, gone this this late life without seeing it. But I'll probably, like, put it in my Halloween movie viewing rotation. Yeah. Like, 
maybe not every year, but every couple of years or so. Yeah, I think um, you should watch House. It's a little cheesier, um, but it's, okay. it's, it's, it's a weird altered reality. Whatever's in that house is not supposed to be, the special effects aren't supposed to be realistic and grounded. It's this wacky, bizarre fucking universe. Fred Decker uh, wrote it and uh, William Katz stars in it, but George Wendt is his next door neighbor and god damn it, he almost steals the whole movie. Oh, well, I love George Wendt. He steals every movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next film is Monster Squad. And this is the one, I think. And both movies now have a call falling, but the Monster Squad is the one, at least for us, that was so fucking special. It's the only movie that I ever watched three times in the 24 hours that we rented it. Um, I, became, <laughs> I became so entranced with it. Do you remember when I was writing a script for Monster Squad, st- Monster Squad 2 when I was like 11? really but it doesn't surprise me yeah, and this movie really had a, a quite a hold on us yeah and it was <laughs> we, we we tried renting it but nobody had it i don't know what happened the copies broke uh or they were stolen i mean this was distributed by vestron i mean and it was a, a, a tri-star release it had push it, it must have been in every store but we could not find a copy and then one day lo and behold like around 92 i'm in marsh grocery store kids Grocery stores used to rent videos. Everybody was renting videos for fuck's sake. Every every time we turned around, there was like a corner with videos. The gas stations, drug stores. <laughs> um, but I found a copy for like $10. And oh my God, did we watch that fucker constantly. And I think I've owned it in like almost every single format. Yeah, I, I'd say I probably watched this movie more than almost any movie yeah. ever. The, every time I see the TriStar logo, you know, with the Pegasus, da-da, 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 whatever, I automatically think I'm about to watch Monster Squad. <laughs> I love the opening. I mean, just automatically just upping the stakes. Period. From Night of the Creeps, this is like four times more expensive, and you see every single scrap bit on the screen. I just, it's so phenomenal. And yet, nobody watched it because... It's weird. Lost Boys came out two weeks prior, and that stole all the heat. And that's unusual now, because a movie will usually open... Look, Barbie's an exception, okay? It's very strange it's lasted this long. Um, Over the last 20 years, movies usually have a week or two where there's a lot of talk, a lot of sales, and then it just dies. You know, it just drops by 50-60%. Back then, a movie could open very small... But word of mouth would build and build or whatever, and it would carry for a whole summer because they're not releasing it in 4,000 screens and spending all the money promoting it you know, before the movie ever comes out. You could have something that would open in like 300, 400 screens and just keep going for a while. <laughs> and it just, people chose that over Monster Squad because maybe it was just, it looked too kiddy. But I was I was ten when it came out, and you were seven when it came out. It was right in our wheelhouse. It was probably shouldn't have been in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it it's, it was borderline. There is some stuff that like I'm kind of surprised now. I was like, oh, but there's not a lot of blood. It's just scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some there's some mature talk. Oh yeah, the the <laughs> there's a couple dirty words in this. I I steal real, and I know times are different, but whenever he says the f a g g, you know whatever, I reel yeah. back. I'm like, holy shit, kids not should not be saying these words. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of, there are problems with this. I mean, the whole movie, they call him Fat Kid. Yeah, he but. his best friends. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the craziest part. If other people did it, the bullies did it. Um, I could understand that, but his own friends call him that. I fucking love it when he grabs that shotgun and says, my I name know. is Horace. <laughs> I know, me too. It's funny is Liam Neeson was uh, up for Dracula and he got down to the wire. But I just don't see him. Duncan Rieger is just this line of going over the top. Like, it, he relishes it. He chooses scenery. I think he's fucking amazing as Dracula. He is very, like, there's definitely, you know, classic, uh, you know, old, old Hollywood monster movie vibes coming from him and yeah you know he but he he chews it without overdoing it it's just the right amount i think the um the downtown in this movie you've been to it correct that's where gilmore girls and back to the future were shot i wondered i was thinking that it looked like the uh warner brothers set the gas station uh scene to is on the Warner Brothers set, I think. So, yeah, I, I have um, done taken a tour of that set, yes. Okay. Um, another interesting thing is that these are all the Universal Monsters. They, they licensed the rights to the characters in the similar look. But Universal turned it down, which I thought was strange. Like, like ah, we don't give a fuck about our classic characters. Go ahead. <laughs> you can have it for the cheap. Well, they had in the in the notes or like the trivia, you know, it said something about how uh, they were they weren't actually allowed to call them their their actual character names. This says due to licensing issues, the crew had to create characters that were suggestive but not exact copies of Universal iconic monsters. Okay. We did not have, because we did not have permission or the license to use those specific images, so we could do a Gilman, for example, but it couldn't look too much like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. And this is a, a direct quote from sh- from someone working on the film. Okay. Well, it'd probably Stan Winston, oh. I'm guessing. So, uh, well, in, in, so most of them are public domain, like Count Dracula, Frankenstein, and Werewolf. Yeah. But he says Wolfman. And that, I'm almost certain That's Wolfman true. is a universal, but the Gilman, well, I mean, the creature, calling it just the creature was always so generic. And it's weird. You know, there was remakes of every single classic horror film from Universal Studios, except they've never mm-hmm. redone Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, there's that one that Guillermo del Toro did, but that's not the same in any way. It's just a similar creature. Oh, no, that's not any... Yeah, that's not supposed to be anything similar. Yeah, but I mean, it's just interesting. Is That's the one classic uh, horror monster that they've never got off the ground. I know John Carpenter was trying to get it going back in like 91, 92, but it's never happened. I wonder why. Is it? Do you think it's because it's like maybe the cheesiest of the classic monsters? Yeah, but also I think that it's just... I think that it's kind of impossible to humanize something like that yeah and therefore yeah. and therefore how could you connect with it on any level to have you know viewers want 
want to watch something like that. Yeah, because it's interesting. Just think if you think that that's one monster that you can't. I mean, I think like Swamp Thing is the closest to accomplishing that goal and being equally disgusting. Yeah, well, it's it's because all of these were at one time human, except for that. And yeah. I think that's why King Kong and Godzilla, the two difference between, I know it's sacrilege, I don't really like Godzilla, but I like King Kong. And I think it's because King Kong yeah. can have those human expressive, you know, movements, whatever. Godzilla yes. just doesn't have it. Yes, we've seen, you know, in the, in the ape world, what do you call that? What do you call them? Uh, that they have very... Very human behavior and emotion, emotional connection and stuff. Yeah, the um, the movie has two things that you would see in other movies, which is very similar. It is a um, there's a line in Night of the Creeps where he says so and so doesn't just get up and walk away after so many years locked or whatever, and then they have the line in this where they talk about yeah. the mummy, and I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> he recycled his own line. <laughs> yeah. But the timing on it, I think a lot of it, like Fred Decker shows he has excellent timing. He can make this thing look like a million bucks. I think part of it on this one, why it's so different, is because you have Peter Hyams. Now, Peter Hyams isn't one of those guys from the era that's really a household name like the way John Carpenter and a lot of guys are. Um, because he constantly chose different styles of movies to do, but he always had a particular look. And we all talk about how J.J. Abrams copies uh, the whole lens flare thing. Uh, I think Spielberg was the first guy to do it. But there's that look in this. You know that kind of like fogged over lens flare, super wide. Uh, uh -huh. It just, uh, god damn it, it looks so good. But his editing style is really good too because the minute he says that line, you know, 2,000 year old mummies just don't get up and walk away and that cut quickly to him just wandering the street is so good. Or, or the werewolf transformation, uh, you know, in, in the ambulances, the way it films the shadows is really awesome. The whole thing with the werewolf is one of my favorites. I think Jonathan Grease um, is the other thing that you'll see something later because he plays the werewolf in this in Fright Night 2. Um, yes. But different versions, whereas in Fright Night 2, he's relishing being a werewolf. He fucking loves it. And he's a hillbilly. Yeah, um, it is really interesting the two, like the extremes that he gets the opportunity to play with a very similar character. Yeah, but that doesn't happen very often. And, and in this one, he plays the classic Universal where uh, the werewolf, where he's tortured by it and he doesn't mm -hmm. want it, whatever. And I think of the monsters. I know it's it's <laughs> not popular because everybody loves Frankenstein, but I think his performance is the best, even though he's barely in it as. Not the werewolf. Oh, he's just, he's so tormented, you yeah. know? And, oh, yeah, I don't know. I think he's pretty great. And I just love that, like, that's all we knew him from when we were kids, you know? Uh -huh. and, then we're, and then one day I'm just like, and then he's fucking in Napoleon's Dynamite as Uncle Rico, and he gets yeah. a whole new, like, like, Sturge in his career. So crazy. Well, I knew that he was on Martin. I mean, we don't... Uh, I don't remember much of the show, but you remember, like, the first few seasons, Martin was really... The show was really focused on his job, too, where he was a DJ. Well, his technician was uh, Jonathan Grease. Oh, I don't remember much of that. I, I find... I found that show to be mostly 
annoying. Yeah, so. now as an adult, <laughs> it's exhausting to me. But um, let's go through the uh, cast real quick. Uh, Andre Gower, who I really thought was going to be a star. And it, it, again, mm-hmm. another one is where it just didn't happen. It always threw me off. But man, he kicks ass as Sean. Yeah, I thought he was. So, I thought he was the coolest. And it's so funny because Ra, uh, uh, what his name was Patrick, really? Robbie Keegan's character. Why did I've seen this movie a million times? I didn't know his name was Patrick. I, I thought it was. What the fuck? I don't. I don't know if they ever say his name. Okay, well he's the tough guy. He's the cool guy, or whatever. But for some reason, I'm like, yeah, you act cool, but Sean's cooler. <laughs> No, I thought Patrick was his little friend. That, yeah, his that is best a, friend. That I think I am wrong. Uh, oh no, no, it's Rudy. It's Rudy. Fuck, I did. I did read that wrong. No, Robbie Keeger is the kid that was in Children of the Corn. Yeah, he's his best friend. Um, and then uh, Stephen Mach. I don't. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Stephen Mach or Stephen Mach. I've seen him in other stuff. I think it's Mach. I think it's Mach. Did you know that? I didn't know until uh, like an, a half hour ago that that he's the father of Gabriel Mach. Oh, from American Outlaws and and Suits, right? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that but either. I, I had no idea. Uh, I guess he even like was a guest guest star on Suits. Maybe played his dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can I see... I guess I never watched that far. If this movie had been a big hit, I can see him doing, like, what Rudger Hauer and Christopher Lambert do, because he's not exactly, like, handsome, but it was the 80s, early 90s, where he could have been a lead in a few, like, lower-budget theatrical releases. I mean, I, yeah, he, he definitely is... You know, he to me, he's very similar to, like... The, what's the guy who was on Dexter? Um... Oh yeah, yeah. Um, wow, I can't believe it. For you know, you know what I say. There, there's something very, there's something very similar about them. For James me. Remar. Um, but sort of timeless and an everyman, and that you, you know, uh, a very recognizable character actor face. And Tom Noonan, I feel a little sorry for him because it seems like he only plays these kind of characters where they like, it's like. Creepy. He, he was the bad guy in Manhunter. He's in this. I know. Uh, a lot of people know him from Last Action Hero as the axe-wielding murderer. Um, he was creepy on X-Files, too. Okay. Um, but I think he does such a good job of making Frankenstein so sympathetic and lovable. Is yeah. this is this the most likable Frankenstein? I'm going to say probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, here, something interesting. You know, I think that this... Seeing this at, you know, we probably didn't see it until, what, it was on video, and it was probably, what, a year after it came out, so yeah, yeah. at eight years old, this is probably my first un- understanding, even briefly, about about Nazis and the concentration camps. Yeah, and that was heavy, because... number meant, and it was a very, it was a very you know, subtle nod. Um, but I don't know. I think that was the f- my first, you know, kind of understanding of that part of history. And I thought it was a really interesting thing to introduce into a horror film. 
I think it's strange and a little demeaning though to his character that he's never given a name. He's all I, I do Anna. not remember his name. I really, yeah, I think it's always scary German guy. He's also really good in the V, the original V miniseries, because he's oh, warning okay. he's warning all of them that this has already happened. That you know, that they're coming for the scientists, that they're gonna start wiping people out. And he's like, I've been through this before. Uh, and, and you need to be aware. I wonder if you and I had to ask one of our parents what those numbers meant. Like, what was he talking about? Cause Probably. Because there's, no, there's no way that we would have understood it at that age. Um, no. But, but somehow it led to us, you know, have, I mean, yeah, we probably asked questions. But I think that's a, a great thing to come from a movie is curiosity to to learn things. Even from a unexpected way you know yeah um and, and sadly brett chalam died very young he played horace but what's great is that his legacy is the most famous line from this movie yes. which there's even a documentary that it's on shirts now but wolfman's got nards i think everybody of our generation now knows that line and, and at least yes he died very young but at least he has that for people to remember him for well i think it's you know everybody should want to like leave a mark on the world, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's always that's, a fear. I think it's some... a unique way to leave your mark, but it's you know has a value. I didn't realize that the, that you know the little boy. I couldn't figure out why is this little boy hanging out with him then? He's much younger than them, and he's no one's little brother. How did he get hooked up with them? I think he's, he's clear... just. I think he's just in the neighborhood, or is that is that his treehouse that they're using? That's what I couldn't figure out because I was just like, he's he's clearly several years younger than them. They're like what twelve is what they said. The other Rudy is clearly like fourteen, fifteen, or whatever, and the sister's five. But this kid, that kid's probably seven, eight years old. Like, who the fuck does he belong to? I couldn't figure it out. But then I I, I looked at um not it does, still doesn't explain it, but I didn't realize that he's the younger brother of. David Faustino? Oh, yeah, from uh, Married Children. Yeah. But what I'm trying and he, to... And he, Go ahead. I really don't know. What's the explanation? He had the weirdest lines in this movie. He just kept saying the dumbest stuff, and you're like, that that doesn't help. It, that doesn't explain anything. Yeah, it's just so strange. Uh, Except mommy, he does help. Mommy, at, he does help at the end when he mommy, goes... Huh? Mommy came to my house. Yeah, yeah. But he does have the helpful line at the end where he's like, is she a version? <laughs> Like, thanks, yeah. kid. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, that is, yeah. But, yeah, so, when when Dracula goes to blow up the the uh, the little treehouse and says, meeting adjourned, yeah. which is a badass line, but... Um, no, it's not. It's, it's their house. It's, it's, yeah. It's Sean and... and Phoebe. Phoebe's. It's so, because it's their mom, Mary, played by Mary Ellen Trainer, who freaks out because it's the treehouse behind their house. Yeah. Okay. So it is in their yard. See, I always wondered. Yep. I, I, I was trying to figure out, was it in a... Yeah, so I don't know why Eugene is there, and that seems like it might have been something that was cut out. Apparently, the script was much, much longer. So, um... Oh, yes, I read that, that they were like, it has to be under 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, and, yes, it was probably greenlit because it was Goonies meets the you know the classic monsters of Little Rascals, whatever. Um, yeah. But it, it's so much more than that. And um, Oh, I do want to say, when you send Mary Ellen trailer, come on. 
She's America's mom. <laughs> For a whole generation, she's like a mom in so many movies and TV shows. Yeah, fair enough. Um, she does a lot of stuff. I also wanted to say, uh, Stan Shaw is in this as uh, uh, the other detective. And I think he... He's got some great lines too, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm still oh. very upset that they just blew him up. It was a curse during this era of killing the black guy. And it, yeah. it drives me nuts. And I mean, it would have been so easy just to have him. It's also, it's just fucking stupid. When the dynamite goes under the car, he just goes, ah, whatever. Why doesn't he open the fucking door and jump out and keep him alive? I really would have appreciated that. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, I mean, it is, you're right. It was just one of those horrible things about this time, that time period. And for many years, but it was just, you know, but that's why there's freaking endless amounts of jokes about it. Yeah, he's in a really good, I think it's the very first movie to show Vietnam in a darker light. Um, mm-hmm. It was called The Boys in Company C. And it's from the director of Iron Eagle, and he's the lead. He's the main character. I feel he's... like you just mentioned that recently. I huh? did, yeah. I just watched it for the first time mm, two weeks ago, and he is absolutely phenomenal. And his career did fine. I mean, but he just never really had that breakaway stuff. But um, there's also another movie that was a huge flop that he was very good in called Daylight with Steven Seagal. Or not Steven Seagal, sorry, Sylvester Stallone. I was just going to ask you, is, is that must be the other movie I remember him from. I don't know. Cutthroat, yeah. He was in Cutthroat Island. Yeah. Guys, he's always good. I wonder if Daylight, from what I remember, it's a Stallone movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that movie was really good. Yeah. Um, and and lastly, before we wrap this up, the special effects. Holy shit! Stan Winston always said, "I don't do special effects; I create characters." And I think that's yeah. why the stuff that he does is so endearing because. He's not really looking for the gross out or or how did they do that crazy thing? No, he designs a character, gives it life. I mean, this year he hit gold because he created the Predator, Harry and the Hendersons, and then did his own versions of all these classic characters. Hey, good job, dude. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still think that even though this movie came out in 1987, that the, the Wolf's transformation is pretty damn good. It you is. You know, it's, it's much better than than the other, anything other in the in that time period, and even stuff that's much newer. The, uh, there is a song in this that I am still crazy about to this day, and it's Rock Until You Drop. If you want to talk about 80s montages set to kick-ass songs, holy shit, the preparing in this Beats the preparing mm-hmm. scene in Lost Boys by a long shot. <laughs> I mean, dude, he's making silver bullets and sharpening freaking uh, wooden stakes in shop class. Yeah. Oh, now, Eugene, is, Eugene writes a letter to the military. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, uh, uh, Eugene writes a letter to the military and somehow it works. <laughs> I know, right? But I just that 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 part of the like preparation montage just like kills me. Yeah. You know, you're just like nobody notices what he's doing. No, nope, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, and so this was distributed by TriStar, but it is an independent production. Uh, it was a company called Blatt and Singer, and they only did like three or four movies. 
And most of their stuff was lost for a long time because you remember the VHS of this was so expensive, like on eBay, and, and people were bootlegging it off TV. And when it came out on mm-hmm. DVD, it was just a phenomenon. It's just so interesting. Like, the only movie that's still missing from this company is Light of Day with uh, Michael J. Fox, which I'm still shocked by. I don't understand why. But that's why it was lost. Like, yes, TriStar had it, but then Vestron had the video rights, but then Vestron went out of business, and then it was just kind of floating in the air. Like, so I think Lionsgate had it for a while, but then Paramount has it. I don't know who the fuck has it, so if you have a copy of it, hold on to it <laughs> dearly. I, I do. I do have a copy of that on DVD. Yeah. And, oh, the score. The score by Bruce Broughton. I just, I really think they spent the money on this. Like, they wanted it to be a legit movie, not a cheap cash-in on Goonies or Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just... Yeah, they really did. They did everything right, didn't they? Yeah, and, it's you know, just... I gotta be honest with you and say, like, I know, we talked we talked about this, that we watched this movie so many times, but, I mean, was it popular? Was it, did it make money? Did other people watch this film? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, obviously it didn't make it in theaters, and it being lost in video for a long time did hurt, I think, making its money back. But I remember it did air on the Sci-Fi Channel a bunch. But now, I think, is where the money is. I think in, in the DVD and Blu-ray release and digital is where now it's, it's made money. Because, you know, they, they tried to remake this. Um, uh, Michael Bay got the rights like 10, 15 years ago, whatever. Do you remember the horror no. stories we heard? I don't know if they were true, but the rumor like freaked everybody out that they were trying to get Justin Bieber as the lead in the remake and try to age it up. Ew. Yeah, that was like 2010. Thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, Fuck. Yeah. Ew. Um, I think that's about it I want to say about the movie. It really does kick ass, and I would love to have this poster. It's one of those classic painted posters that's just done absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a, a, the reason why I asked that about, you know, who was watching this movie? Was it just us? Because, you know, sometimes we think that movies... We loved them. We thought they were badass, but then we realized nobody else saw this movie. Or on the other end, we realized that, it, it, that we were definitely not alone in the like obsession with this movie. Like, uh, you know, as soon as it came out on DVD, we got a copy of it. And I think Scott's brother bought him a copy of it, so they were also super obsessed with it. So I, I know now that it wasn't just us. Yeah, but, I just um, don't think it was cool to admit because it was. It was. I don't know. You know, by the time you're really getting into horror movies, I was in I was in uh, high school and you were in middle school, and people moved on. Horror was not hot in the '90s, and if there was any leftover, it was like, oh, did you go see Bram Stoker's Dracula? Did you see the Freddy movies? You know, the stuff that was really bloody and meant to be R-rated. Um, I think it was. I remember even telling somebody that I had seen Fright Night for the first time. And this is like '92, I think. And someone was like, oh, that movie's so hokey, it's so cheesy, and I was like, I felt like a dork for loving Fright Night. I, I don't know. I think people, as they get older, they don't need to prove anything to people. They don't have to be cool. Oh, They're just yeah. like, I love what I uh, fucking love. I think that I was lucky in the fact that, for the most part, even when I was younger, I didn't really care what people thought. Yeah. Well, neither one of us. We always loved this dorky shit, and rarely ever were we like, oh, that's embarrassing. Not going to admit to that again. Yeah. Though you were always cool I, I'm a very embarrassing person, but I mean, I, I just, I mean, I think I'm just totally, totally ridiculously nerdy and <laughs> awkward and 
Like, I just, I just accept it. I just embrace it. I just tell everyone. I'm did, super awkward, okay? Just, just know it. <laughs> I'm curious. Did you tell people that you were watching Major League, like, every single day <laughs> for, like, a month? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm all, I, yes, I do tell people that, but I, I, I talk usually more about the Batman, the Batman watching it every day. Yeah, we had, we had those. We had, like, that, Major League. Uh, uh, I remember that we watched Darkman a bunch for a while, Wayne's World. We had, like, these little things we locked into. And when we got that copy of yeah. Monster Squad, I know we watched it a bunch. Yeah, yeah, but I, I actually don't really think that that is an uncommon thing for for kids to do, or really for anybody, because you know there's science behind the comfort and the the, 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 the reason why people rewatch things over and over again, and what it does to our emotions and our brain. Yeah, I know so, that. I know that the first couple seasons of Stranger Things are set before this was ever released. But I yeah. feel there's a clear connection between the two because it was one of the few movies where it's they're they're actually they're actual kids like not even high yes. school they're middle school kids and it's legitimately yeah. scary they don't pull the punches I think I think in in Monster Squad I think the studio probably forced him to pull the punches a little bit with like yeah. the little kitty one liners and stuff like that. I mean, she is five years old. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I can't blame them, especially when there's a lot of money I'm writing on the line and like, let's make sure this is PG-13. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think we waxed nostalgic enough on this one. True, a, a true classic and one that you should discover if you haven't seen Night of the Creeps. It's not perfect by any yes. means. Well, actually, both, both movies are kind of flawed. But the ambition but is there. a lot of fun. Yeah, and Fred Decker really... I think he truly loved what he was doing. And I even think like Robocop 3. He was given the assignment to take a movie franchise that was hard R. Like part two is disturbingly violent. And saying, hey, kids are really digging into this. Let's make this PG-13 or whatever. Maybe he went to Kitty. But he <laughs> knew he knew what the mission was. And I think it's fun. I, lo- I really like uh, Robocop 3. I don't know if I've seen Robocop 3. Maybe I should watch it. It's in, the, it's in our account. So you can check it out. All right, um, that is it, everybody. Anything else you want to say before we go? Nope. All right, have a good one.